Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. She's a fashion blogger, model, and entrepreneur. She's amazing. The latest tips on fashion, beauty, wellness, travel, and her lifestyle. And now, here's the founder and creator of Not Basic Blonde, Olasha. Hi loves, welcome back to another episode of Not Basic Bond podcast. I have something interesting for you today and my guest is Stefano Sifandas. So with over 15 years of experience in personal development space, my guest is a trained educator, behavioral scientist and relationship expert with an extensive background in psychology, philosophy and ecology. He is passionate about and committed to leading people to closer to their highest potential and to each other. So from trauma release to navigating the murky waters of modern masculinity to helping women understand the men in their lives, he helps people escape negative patterns and cultivate a positive sense of self. So in today's episode, my guest and I will be discussing very sensitive but very interesting topics. We'll be talking about how to define conscious sexuality, how to deal with self-serving partners, where are all the good men at, men are more insecure during sex, is it true, why cheating in relationship is overbearingly associated with men, what drives them to cheat, what are the chief relationship red flags, how crucial is vulnerability towards each other for people in relationship, should we share our past sexual traumas with the person we are dating? How can we break the chains of our unresolved shame and trauma? And so much more. But before we dive in, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review Not Basic Blonde Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Hi there. Welcome to Not Basic Blonde Podcast. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being my guest and you having such an amazing background all my guests would love to learn more about you. Like, would you please tell us more about your career? How did you get there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I think like many people, um, what was a, a really big pain point for me came something that I, I focused on as a, as an adult. And so 
a big pain point for me was isolation and feeling alone and uh, experiencing a great deal of volatility and disconnection in my childhood. And so as an adult, I really yearned for connection and intimacy and, you know, being seen and seeing others and just, just having close people in my life. Cause I never really felt I had that. It always felt like I was at a distance. Right. And when I did have it, I didn't know if I could trust it being there. And so it leaked out in unhealthy ways as an adult. However, it became this passion to understand people, to help people, to help myself. And so as I began to do my inner psychological and emotional work and my deeper spiritual work, I began to understand the difference between healthily being someone in the world and unhealthily being someone. And so when I was unhealthy, I was cheating. I was in the shadows. I was insecure. I was um, coming from manipulation. I was coming from desperation. And when I was healthy, I was owning who I was. I was able to be radically vulnerable. I was honest in my expression. Um, I had greater confidence, not arrogance, but confidence in who I was. When I was unhealthily coming from that need to be near people, I was very arrogant. I was always trying to prop myself up, make myself better than what I was because, well, that's all I had. That's all I thought I had, right? So as I began to do that deeper work again and really get fascinated by human connection, the way that we can just be better as human beings, I started to form more honest and authentic relationships in my life. And that then just took me down a path of being a coach in this space. But I have a background in psychology as well, because again, just super intrigued by the way the mind works and the way us as humans, the way we interact with each other. And so all of that combined, um, I, I spent a lot of time now in my life, in my career, really helping people see greater versions of themselves, helping people connect to their most, you know, their truest potential, um, any, any mindset issues, limiting beliefs. Um, I work a lot with people that have experienced trauma. So I'm trauma-informed and somatic therapist, um, really integrating mind-body, um, heart-spirit connection, and really helping people unpack their best selves, right? And, and also enhance the quality of the relationship they have to themselves, to others, to their vision, to their purpose, to their past, to their pain, to their trauma, and really just get into that, that version of themselves that really matters to them. Wow, that's incredible. And how do you help people transform their lives? Like what's the method behind your magic? I use different methods. So, I mean, I'm, I've got various qualifications, um, uh, somatic background, background in, in trauma studies, um, Western psychology, behavioral science, social psychology, um, uh, you know, NLP, hypnosis, um, site K, other counseling methodologies, Eastern mysticism. Um, I've trained under various shamans as well. It just, it really just depends. I mean, at the, at the end of it, I think as practitioners, coaches, therapists, whatever we want to call ourselves, I mean, I'm not a therapist per se. I didn't go down that specific path, but, you know, we develop our own method. Um, and so that, and that also shifts a little bit, whether I'm working with large groups of people, small groups of people or individuals, whether I'm in a corporate setting or whether I'm working with a couple on intimacy and sacred sexuality, it varies. But one thing that I do, um, a through line or a thread that that really underpins um, how I work with people is safety. And it's really cultivating a deeper sense of safety physiologically, psychologically, and emotionally. And that is really how I show up in my own body, my own inner work as well. Like I'm an advocate of doing my own inner work and making sure that I'm in integrity 
um, as much as I can be, you know, I'm human, but as much as I can be. Um, and that really um, lays the foundation for how I work with people. Wow, that's amazing. And did you go through spiritual awakening yourself? Like, how did you realize the point when you were like, I'm ready to help people, I'm ready to change the world? <laughs> like, it had to be like turning point, right? Yeah, there were a number of turning points. And I, I realized very, very um, fairly early on, or maybe not actually, maybe it was a little later that if I wanted to change the world, I had to change myself. So I had this idea when I was younger that I wanted to change the world. And I wanted to be the UN Secretary General when I was like six or seven years old, right? These big dreams as a, big kid, as a little kid. Um, but I realized that I needed to do far more work on myself and I wasn't really doing that. And so um, I had a number of different events that really shaped um, me wanting to deepen my practice and service and, and the business that I'm in. And um, I really started at a young age as well. I mean, I, I started in the health and wellness industry when I was 18. Um, I'm 39 now. So I've been at it for, you know, a fair, a fair amount of time in different, different expressions. Um, but it was probably about uh, eight, seven or eight years ago where I really um, started to turn and change. Was, I was in a relationship. We broke up in that relationship. And that was the catalyst for deepening my own practice and my own self journey, like my own hero's journey. Like, And I had a number of journeys before that, like internal realizations, but never quite enough to really propel me to almost make a final choice to say, like, this is the person that I want to be and I'm not going to change it. I had to face all of my trauma, all of the, you know, the abuse that I experienced and the patterns that I had formed and the behaviors I had formed as a result of that, the coping strategies that were really very unhealthy in relationships. So that, that relationship was a catalyst for deepening my own practice. Very interesting. Oh, so yeah, you've been in this health and wellness industry for a long time. Like what is the most crucial aspect of life that has the highest impact on someone i think again i'm going to you know i'm going to come back to integrity and safety like when you show up to someone whether it's a you know when we show up to one of our clients and we really make it about them and about the process and about their safety that can be one of the greatest gifts we give other people because so often people have led a life or they've had childhood experiences where they haven't been seen and they haven't been witnessed. They haven't been understood and respected. And on top of that, many children and obviously turned to adults, they've been violated, right? Like they've been, they've, they've been intruded upon. There's been violence that they've experienced, physical, sexual, emotional. And so as a practitioner in this space, holding a safe space. And that means again, you know, being in your own integrity, trusting yourself, showing up in truth to your clients, being a safe place for them to express without judgment, to meet them with compassion. That can be one of the greatest gifts that we give any of our clients. And it's also the path to deeper healing because their nervous system through the, their own interpretation of the world, which is known as neuroception, if they can pick up on you that you are safe and that you're calm and regulated in your nervous system, that they also have permission to do and be the same, that's where healing begins. And honestly, at some level, that's where healing ends as well. The, all the in-between stuff is, is in-between and the context very much helps. But that nervous system feeling safe in the world, that's the most important thing. When you work with couples, usually, how do you decide which process or which strategy to use or everyone is just 
definitely different for every person is different and also like how do we attract emotionally unavailable or just partners who don't want to commit like yeah <laughs> yeah two great questions two different questions but also connected um the, the first turn to your first question it, it does vary from individual to individual, couple to couple, depending on what their wounding is, depending on their history. There's, there are many variables, depending on where they're at in life, what they want, what their desires are. Um, and so there is an intuitive um, aspect that, that comes into that that then has me leaning into different tools at different times. Often the tools that I use are very similar, but the way that they're used and the timing in which they use. Um, can be different. For example, if there's a couple with really deep trauma and that trauma is is known, but they, they, they haven't gone there, they haven't touched that trauma, then I have to be very gentle and slow. And in, in, in um, like um, neuropsychobiology, for example, that's known as um, uh, titration, where we're just slowly, slowly, very methodically exposing them to new stimulus that's going to help them break free of an old behavior or heal an old trauma or see each other and themselves in different ways, right? So just slowly want to ramp that up. Um, if for your second question, in terms of why do we unattract, why do we attract unavailable partners? That was your question, yeah? Yeah. We attract unavailable partners because often that's all we know, right? So for example, um, you know, you may grow up, uh, I'll use a, a female father example, like a daughter father example. You may grow up um, not having access to your father. You know, he, he works a lot. He's not, he's emotionally distant when he is home. He's distracted. Maybe him and your mother are fighting all the time. And you're just accustomed to not having that structure in your life and that support and that witnessing from the masculine. And so as an adult, A, that's very familiar. So you're going to attract what's familiar because at some level that feels safe. And B, the psyche and the constitution of the person wants to experience a redo. So we'll keep experiencing and attracting situations that are very similar to that core wounding of the masculine, of the father. And this applies in all different ways as well, by the way. But we'll keep attracting that experience in order to do it differently, to, to have an, a different experience, like to heal that wound, right? To heal that, that pain of not being witnessed and seen and, and being in fear and not being um, appreciated and, and, and not being you know, really understood and heard and not being nurtured and cared for and, and supported and kept safe. But the, the, the crux is that we don't know we're doing that because if we knew we were doing that, we would more than likely be able to do differently to, to get a different result, to lay down new neuronal um, pathways, new behavioral onsets, um, new ways of emotionally writing, but we just don't know. And so that's why doing the inner work, you know, working with someone, helping people, helping ourselves see our own perspectives, but different perspectives from different vantage points. Um, and working with others to do that can be so helpful because then we can empower ourselves to make different choices. So there's some of the reasons why we attract unavailability in our partnerships. I see. And also just to add to your question, as far as my story, my parents got divorced when I was six years old and mm. I've been attracting guys who were not ready to get married, who are not ready to commit. And like, I've been going on and on and on, like, why do I have this issue? And, you know, no one really could give me a good answer because I've done so much inner work, but I still had the same, you know. I hear you. 
I hear you. And it can be really challenging, right? And sometimes the things that appear most simple and appear most obvious, they're not, right? They're just not. Like that's a generalized example that can apply to many people. And there are probably some nuances there in that, in that relationship for you. Like, you know, depending on how the circumstances on how your mother and father broke up, where you went, what your experiences were post that breakup, that divorce, what happened leading up to that, how you interpreted that. If you have other siblings, where you fall in that, there are so many nuances there. And, and we, when we look to the past to heal our present and ultimately create a, a more wonderful future, what we're doing is we're feeling the unfelt. We're releasing the suppressed. And so that's part of the process, right? Hence why I do so much somatic work with people is really getting into the body. And so that becomes an opportunity to heal that part of us. But there's part of us that's actually really resistant because we don't want to make changes because changes are scary because they're unfamiliar. And the ego self, the, the identity, the world, the part of self that identifies with the world says we don't want to change. Because change is scary, it's unknown. So let's just stay in what we're doing, even if it's really painful. And so again, when you feel safe enough, when you're working with someone, you feel safe enough to explore these parts of yourself, that's when real meaningful change can come. And those things that you consciously desire, they can come to fruition. Because remember, you may consciously desire an available man, as an example, but that's like a few percent, three to 5% of your mindscape is saying that the rest of it is unconscious and saying, Nope, that's not what we're going to do. That's we're going to just attract what's familiar. We're not doing any of that. And that's where, again, being in the presence of people that can support you, whether it's a support group, or a coach, or a therapist, or a shaman, or a spiritual healer, whatever it is, or even close friends that can give you perspective that you trust, respect, and revere can help you see yourself in different ways, but in real time. So you can make those changes in real time. That's a big, that's an important part of the process too, right? Being, having enough courage and confidence to make those changes in real time. I see. But I think I also, you know, like you're supposed to find benefits from every downside from every situation. So I think I, I kind of found benefits and then I learned my mistake because it was kind of good for me at that time having that, because I think I wasn't even ready myself. So I think Mm. I, even if I want it, it's still like I kind of didn't really want it myself as well. So it kind yep. of worked out at that time. Yep. No, I hear that. I hear that. Everything in its timing. Everything in its yeah. timing. Yeah, absolutely. How do you deal with self-serving partners? Well, it's important to understand if that's a pattern. So firstly, if that's a pattern where, you know, you're, you're attracting self-serving partners or selfish partners, I think it's important to look at that pattern. It's important to understand where that pattern is maybe coming from within yourself. Like what is wounded within yourself that complements that wound within them. That's a good place to start. Secondly, it's important, I think, to have compassion and empathy for others, for our partners, whilst also setting healthy boundaries. What are your yes to? What are you a no to? But seeking to understand where that self-absorbed behavior is coming from. Is it a consistent pattern with them? Is it something that they constantly do? Is it something they've just revealed? Has something happened in their external environment? Like they just lose their job or did, did someone criticize them and offend them and it triggered some childhood wound and now they're acting in selfish ways to try and redeem their self-esteem? Like what's actually happening? Seeking to understand that whilst being really self-honoring is a great place to start. How do you define conscious sexuality is this about our thought process or there is like physical difference between regular lovemaking and conscious sexuality 
It's a great question. And for me, it's a very complex question, right? But let me, let me try and, um, no, I don't want to, I, I want to explain it in simple terms, but I don't want to simplify the question because then I'm not doing it justice and I'm, I'm, I'm taking away its meaning for me personally, conscious sexuality or sacred sexuality is includes the physical of course but also moves beyond the physical and 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 for me that's the best way to begin to explain it or begin to understand it right and so that means that when we're in mateship when we're in physical contact with each with each other there's something happening that's beyond sex there's emotional um, an intertwining of our emotions, of our spirituality, of our past, of our present, of our future. There's a nurturing, a careful nurturing that if that's taken place, right, and if the focus becomes less on goal orientation or ejaculation or even orgasm and that we are present to each other, and this needn't happen all the time, but we're present to each other's needs, right? We're working with the, the whole person. That you know, all the parts of the person, the wounded person, the little boy or girl within our partners, the parts of our partners that feel vulnerable, the parts of our partners that feel embarrassed, the parts of our partners that have shadow behavior like, uh, you know, anger or whatever it may be. For me, all of that is included in sacred sexuality. It's the totality of the person, right? And the if sacred sex, sacred sexuality was to have an objective per se, it's to it's to really set an intention, a deliberate intention to get to know self through each other, not just through the other, but through each other and how each other behave in every moment of every day, not just in the physical act of sex, because sacred sexuality is beyond just the physical act of sex. It's how we show up to each other in challenging times and difficulty. It's how we hold each other through pain. It's how we laugh together. It's how we celebrate together. It's how we have joy, how we experience joy together. It's how we plan together. It's how we do life together. And so if we really treat it as a sacred act, something that needs to be done with great intention, not just driven by our hormones, we, we start to shift from, you know, common sexuality into sacred sexuality. And again, there's nothing wrong with primal sexuality. We need that for reproduction and to continue the, the species of human beings on this earth. Um, and, and there's something beyond that. And that's for me tapping into, you know, the spirituality of sex. I see. And do you think that if one partner does not give enough attention or just does not meet another partner's needs, there is like disconnect or there is some shifts in the wrong direction in partner's life? Because as you know, probably, I mean, of course you do. As far as chakras, we all depend. I mean, we have seven chakras and each chakra is responsible for prosperity or connection or different parts and if one of the chakras is not activated we haven't shifts in the wrong direction in our bodies so if one partner is not giving enough love to other it definitely becomes it affects other directions of life right it very much can do yeah and again i think when that is happening we have an opportunity to actually ask questions get curious you know, not move into fear or be reactive and really check in with what's happening um, in that partnership and what's happening um, with respect to why that person is giving less or withholding, right? And again, we can't be in mastery or control of what's happening outside of us, but we can be in greater control of what's happening within us. So again, checking in with what that's bringing up within us. That's the opportunity for growth is that we get to check in with what is happening here. 
what is happening in our bodies and what how can we grow what's our growth edge here yeah absolutely men are more insecure during sex is this true by your opinion like what do you think I mean, it would purely be anecdotal if I were to make a comment on that as opposed to empirical, harder evidence. Um, I think humans are insecure, full stop, right? And I think probably a way to respond to that is far more men are insecure than society thinks. That's probably a better way to, to answer that question. Because, and there's a myriad reasons for that, but essentially men are, they're not encouraged to uh, express themselves they're encouraged to hide their emotions and hide what they're truly feeling and wear massive masks as as a women in different ways but it's more socially appropriate for a female to emote or express by mainstream standards right these are, these are generalizations but more men are insecure than than what you you may think or may believe more men are sexually violated than what statistics show um Uh, more men have body shame and carry body shame than what we may think. So is it more than women? Probably not. Um, is it more than what we think? Probably yes. I see. Yeah, that's that's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> Why cheating in relationship is overbearingly associated with men? What drives them to cheat? That's an interesting question because, you know, depending on what research you look at and study you look at and and, and and you look at evolutionary biology, that's not necessarily true. It probably is marginally, but it's not necessarily true. And it could be because, I mean, hormones definitely play a part in that um, and our hormonal profiling and societal conditioning and history and the way men and women are viewed and the way certain acts are viewed as appropriate for men or inappropriate for women. And you know, a lot of that is changing in our society and some of it isn't. Um, so I don't know if that's complete, that statement's completely true. However, um, people are dishonest and people are dishonest for, for so many reasons. That is a, that is a, that is a long, long form podcast that, that in and of itself is like why people cheat, right. And getting into the psychology of lying and manipulation and, uh, bias and agenda and, um, so many factors feed into that. People ultimately are dishonest and cheat and, and you know, have extramarital affairs or, um, you know, have sex with, with other people when they're in partnership without telling their partnership for so many reasons. They have a sex addiction or compulsion. Um, they have an addiction to variety or novelty. Um, they are running from their pain and they need, you know, massive stimulus. Um, they're narcissists and they're trying to hurt other people. You know, they have NPD or they have narcissistic tendencies. Um, they just love having lots of sex with lots of different people, but also love being in relationship and are very comfortable lying or comfortable enough to lie and not tell the truth. A lot of people are wounded. And one of the ways that they alleviate themselves is through that rush, right? Like that adrenaline rush and that hormonal rush of, um uh being in the shadows there's so many different reasons i see yeah that's so true because it depends totally on their past traumas and their own perspective because there could be so many reasons why men could cheat because yeah. sometimes they even cheat on the most gorgeous and beautiful and most successful women even yep. with worse women and it's totally very I mean, the question is like, you know, there is no answer for this question. 
<laughs> I mean, there is and there isn't like because it's different for every. I mean, you know, some some men are addicted to the pursuit as well, right? And to the the quote unquote the hunt. Um, and there's some primal there's some primal elements there that really impact humanity and how we behave as humans now that have been around for two three million years as, as hominoids, right? Um, and 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 we're unpacking some of that now as a society and. We're also understanding ourselves better. And some people, uh, you know, they they grew up with cheating or they witnessed their parents do that or other people and they think it's the norm. That was very much part of my conditioning as well. Like it's, oh, it's okay to do that. Like, as you know, what someone doesn't know doesn't hurt them. And, you know, we can justify things in every which way. And at the end of the day, honesty, integrity, transparency are very powerful virtues and they're undervalued in our society, but it takes a lot of courage to get to that place as well. And most people don't want to do that work to get to that place. Should we share our past sexual traumas with the person we are dating or we shouldn't? Because sometimes, you know, they mm. could use it against you because when you're being very vulnerable with someone, they might rub mm. it in your face. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, if, if someone's doing that, you're with the wrong person. So I don't, I don't should anyone, you know, I don't should anyone, like you should do this or you shouldn't do that. And it's very healthy to share your past traumas um, with people that you feel safe enough to do so, that's the key, and that you feel safe enough within yourself. Like you you feel safe enough talking about it in that way, but it's very helpful for your partners and people that you're intimate with and sharing intimacy with um, to know about your past and to know about you as a human being, to know about you as a person and what what challenges and pains you have faced and experienced and what fears you hold in you so they can treat you with respect and love and compassion. And if someone is going to hold something like that against you, you're fucking definitely with the wrong person yeah so true i have the same opinion about this <laughs> mm-hmm. how can we break the chains of our unresolved shame and trauma well one of the ways probably not the only way but a very powerful way to bring to break the the pattern of shame and the behaviors that stem from that as a result of feeling immense shame is bringing shame into the light and so that means speaking about our shame sharing our shame but with the right people with people that you feel safe with, with coaches, therapists, people that can hold that pain, people that can give you new perspective. So how we deal with shame is by bringing it into the light, talking about it, sharing it, releasing it from our bodies somatically, closing the trauma loop on that, re-regulating our nervous systems. Um, and there's techniques, of course, to, to utilize. And it happens over a period of time. It doesn't necessarily happen, you know, in an, in an incident. It can, it can, it can. Um, however, it's more of a, a process driven experience that we have that begins to bring us into greater sense of empowerment by sharing our pain with people that we can trust and that we respect and that oh, sorry and that can hold that and that at, at, at least have some skills to deal with that as well to navigate that trauma very interesting and i know you mentioned somatically what are the symptoms in the body a person might have when they have trauma or some unresolved issues i know chronic pain is one of them but what are other symptoms they might have yeah digestive issues chronic pain autoimmune issues skin conditions um there are so many different repetitive um physical ailments that that, you know migraines and headaches um these are ways that that sort of that doesn't sound like it but they protect us because they keep us more isolated and keep us at a distance from people so then we can't get hurt by people it's it's an unusual way or a strange, what appears to be a strange way to protect our, ourselves. 
um, uh, you know, spinal issues, lower back issues. Um, I mentioned pelvic genital issues as well. Um, yeah, there's so many, so many different physical ailments, but they're some of the main ones. You know, respiratory issues can be um, a, a tough one as well. Heart conditions. I see. I know myself when I had something that really irritates me, I would get a rash. Like that's mm. I wouldn't like. So I would get rash and then I just like told myself I'm allowing to accept such and such the situation and all the surroundings and everything in one way. Yeah. You know, once we, again, like you, what you're doing is you're bringing that thing to the light, right? You're bringing awareness to it, which helps shift it. Yeah, I agree. The mm. best advice you can give to couples or to singles, what could it be? <laughs> be willing be willing to look at your own stuff, to take responsibility and ownership of who you are in the relationship, be willing to have difficult conversations, be willing to be honest, be willing to have fun and experience joy in your relationship or in your life, be willing to be challenged, be willing to move through your fears, be willing to do exciting things in your life. Willingness is so, so important. Incredible. And what are the projects are you working on or anything interesting is coming up? Like what's going yeah, on where yeah, our listeners find you yeah thank you so so many amazing projects i i, uh, I have a coaching institute with my wife and two and another couple two other amazing people elementumcoachinginstitute.com where we coach and train coaches um to be excellent space holders and coaches and it's an extensive curriculum a nine-month curriculum so elementumcoachinginstitute.com um you can find me on my website, stephanossafandos.com, or if you want to work with me in a one-on-one -on -one capacity, coachwithsteph.com. My wife and I have an amazing uh, inner child workshop that we have coming up in October, I believe it's October. Um, we're very excited about that. And you can find that on my website, stephanossafandos.com. Um, what else do we have available? I mean, all everything that's there and a lot of free gifts as well on, on my website and, and my Instagram, and uh, you can find me at, at stephanossafandos. Sounds incredible. Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you. I appreciate you. That was all for today, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Not Basic Blonde podcast is available on all the major platforms with new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. To support the show, tag NBB podcast on your Instagram stories and check out more behind the scenes on Instagram as well at notbasicblonde underscore or NBB podcast. And if you haven't, Subscribe, rate, and review Not Basic Blonde Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.